welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online or later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying that you would experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. We're learning to live like Jesus, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because that team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. And even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Although he was born the son of slaves, he grew up enjoying the privilege that wealth and power offered the elite of Egypt. For the first 40 years of his life, he was an outsider inside the machine that was grinding the people of his heritage into the ground. The weight of their condition was the burden he carried from day to day. He dreamed of delivering the people of Israel out of captivity. But that dream died when he killed an Egyptian overseer and then fled into the desert, a fugitive from the law. In a run that ended in Midian, where he became part of a new family through marriage and started at the bottom rung of the family business. Uh, There's not much upward mobility in a family business usually. Uh, Usually someone has to die to move up the ladder. So for the next 40 years of his life, Moses found himself at the bottom of the rung, uh, the last rung of the ladder, tending sheep. A shepherd. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a more monotonous existence. Feeding sheep, watering sheep, watching sheep, day in and day out. Yesterday, the same as today, tomorrow, today, the, the, the same as tomorrow. It's like lather, rinse, repeat. But it was this kind of ordinary day that changed his life once again. You never know when God will show up to surprise you. On this day, he found himself far out in the wilderness at the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. Interestingly enough, the very same mountain where Elijah, the prophet we talked about last week, experienced the friendship of God. Let's pick up his story in Exodus chapter 3. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. 
he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Now the bush contains the presence of God, but isn't consumed by it. Because God doesn't need anything, any source, any energy or fuel outside of himself to exist. It is that completely sufficient, in need of nothing source of power that dwells within us. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Jewish scholars used to debate why God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. As we talked about last week, he could have shown up in the wind, uh, an earthquake, a, a fire, or even the sound of silence. So why a burning bush out in the middle of nowhere in the desert? As Mark Batterson notes in his book, Draw the Circle, they concluded that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush for one simple reason, to show that no place is devoid of God's presence, not even a bush on the backside of the desert. So these scholars gave God a name. In English, it is translated the place. Uh, God is the place, as in God is here, there, and everywhere. And when you consider that today Christ followers are the mobile temples of the place, it means we carry that burning bush flame with us here, there, and everywhere. The same power that appeared to Moses so long ago, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is God in our bod today. Welcome to week three in our series, Conversations with God. For the past couple of weeks, we've been exploring prayer. We've all experienced the disappointment and frustration of unanswered prayers. I know people, you probably do too, who have walked away from God because he didn't answer one of their prayers the way he want, they wanted him to. We've all been confused by the seemingly unimportant prayers that God has answered and the really important ones he didn't. I was talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago who told me that God just seems to do just the opposite of everything that she prays, which illustrates what we've already discovered, that we don't really know what to pray for when we do pray. We have a very limited perspective about what God might be doing in any, well, in every situation. That, mixed with our desire to have a problem-free life, leads us to pray our way out of valleys rather than praying our way through valleys, trusting that God has some purpose for our valleys. The good news in all of that is that our God in this bod stands in the gap for us. He, that is the Holy Spirit, turns our ramblings into something beautiful as he passes them up the chain of command to Jesus, who is standing next to God the Father, interceding on our behalf. We may not know what we're doing when we pray, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have our backs, and they work everything for our good when we trust in him. Which 
might make you ask the question, why, why pray at all? I mean, if God's got everything under control, what's the point of prayer? And last week, we dove into that topic as we discovered that through prayer, God reveals a new facet of himself to us. Uh, when we look to the sky around us and here on earth, we see, as the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 1, forever since the creation of the, forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Uh, clearly, creation clearly sings the song of our creator. Our God who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. We call that general revelation when we get all churchy. And as we can clearly see in the world around us, general revelation isn't enough to change the hearts of many people. But when we pray, we begin to experience a more intimate side of God, of our almighty God. Because the more we pray, the more we come to know him as our friend, which is far more powerful in changing our lives than simply seeing him as the creator of all. The deeper our friendship, the more life-changing it is for us. The deeper our friendship with God, the more we become like Jesus. Prayer changes us from the inside out. And prayer, here's where we're headed today, prayer allows us to access the power of God in our body. Uh, there are some promises and commands in God's word that regardless of any answer we might be looking for at any given moment, we tap into these promises. They become available or they're activated when we pray. I know that's as clear as mud right now, but, but give me a moment. I think I can make some sense of it. I have some examples for us to consider. And here's what I mean. First, when we pray, we tap into the power of wisdom. And no matter what we're praying for, we're going to need wisdom. Let's say you're praying for financial rescue. Inflation is up, money isn't worth as much, everything is tighter, and let's face it, most of us aren't that disciplined with our money anyway. So, so we're praying for God to meet our financial needs. Oh, and by the way, God, could you put some extra in the bank while you're at it? Until God answers that prayer, you need wisdom. Wisdom on how to allocate and spend what you do have. Wisdom on what to say yes to and what to say no to. And if God does answer your prayer and he meets your needs, maybe even with a little extra, you're still going to need wisdom. The wisdom you need for much is often more than the wisdom you need for little. So either way, regardless of how God answers, you need the power of wisdom as you walk this part of your journey. You need wisdom from here to there and everywhere in between. Now, wouldn't it be great if you had a friend who is in all of those places that you could tap into? Good news. You do. James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, financial troubles, relational troubles, temptation troubles, health troubles, you know, troubles of any kind, when, when they come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when, you, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. 
So as you journey to become like Christ, if you need wisdom, God will give it to you. Even if you are praying for something that will ultimately become a no or a yes, either way, God makes the power of wisdom available to us when we pray for it. And let's face it, we don't have to be facing big troubles to need wisdom. We need wisdom every moment of every day. We make more than 35,000 decisions every day. Uh, some of those decisions, uh, some of those choices are really no-brainers. Uh, they don't really matter either way. For example, it's starting to get dark. Should I get up and turn on the light or not? We make lots of decisions like that. Which, for the record, we can ask for wisdom for, and God will make that wisdom available. Uh, men, the next time you're deciding between another hour of gaming at, or Netflix with your wife, ask for wisdom. <laughs> Women, <laughs> next time you want to know whether you should wear the blue dress or the black one, don't ask your husband. He doesn't know the answer anyway. It's just a crapshoot with him, but God has the power of wisdom at his disposal. I'm making fun of the no-brainer decisions, of course. But hidden among those 35,000 decisions are some important ones. And very rarely are they black and white decisions. Should I watch porn or not? That's a black and white decision. Most of the time we make choices between two or three or five good options. That's when we need to call upon the power of wisdom with a simple conversation with God. God, which of these five options is the best option right now? Now, I will say that it will probably take a bit of experience to understand where God is leading or how to hear his voice when you pray. Uh, author John Eldridge suggests that when you're first learning uh, to listen to God's voice, that you don't start with big decisions like, should I take this job? Instead, start with simpler questions like, God, are you here? Or God, do you really love me? And then listen. I've got to be honest, I can't tell you how many times I've heard my own voice justifying this or that as it drowned out the voice of God. It would be fantastic if God would just write the answers on the wall or send an angel with the answers like he did in the Old Testament times. <laughs> Instead, he generally uses others to confirm his will or his answer for my questions. So as you're learning to hear his voice, learning to sift through the noise, it's always okay to ask or invite more mature brothers and sisters in Christ to help you discern what God is saying. And a quick, Father, give me the wisdom to tell your voice from my own might help too. Remembering that knowing what is wise and doing what is wise are two different things, which will lead us into the next prayer power. But the bottom line here is that when we pray, God puts the, the power of his wisdom at our disposal. And then, on a related note, he has, prayer has the power to help us escape temptation. If you are a Christ follower, I think we can all agree that the sole aim of our lives should be to become like Jesus. We want to believe like Jesus, think like Jesus, and act like Jesus which for some of us is a longer journey than for others. But to all of us on that journey through the Holy Spirit, God gives us gifts to help us become like Jesus. Paul lists some of these gifts in Galatians chapter 5. We also interchangeably call these the fruit of the Spirit because they are the fruit of a life lived by walking in the Spirit. Uh, please note that these are gifts 
of the Spirit which are different than spiritual gifts. All believers receive gifts of the Spirit, but your spiritual gifts are uniquely calibrated to you. Uh, if you don't understand the nuance between the two, I'd suggest taking Gifted, our summer Bible study for adults in June. Uh, these are familiar verses to most of us, but so that we're all on the same page, let's just remind ourselves of, of what Paul wrote. Uh, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now we could add some others to this list like mercy, faith, hope, and grace, but let's stick with these for just a moment. To help us become more like Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts. But we don't experience the full expression of these gifts right from the start. They're like muscles. If we don't use them, they atrophy. So we have to learn how to use them. In order to get the full effect of them, we need them to grow. Uh, we need, uh, that is, we, we have to build our capacity to love. We have to build our capacity for kindness. We have to build our capacity for self-control. Like real physical muscles, we have to stretch them and push them beyond their current capacity in order to achieve the full expression of them. When you are lifting weights, you are using resistance to get stronger. The same is true with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Which means that in order to grow in love, you need to face situations that resist love, that push you to the limits of your ability to love so that you will grow your capacity for love. In order to grow in kindness, you need to, to face situations that stretch your kindness to the breaking point so that your capacity for kindness can grow. And in order to grow in self-control, you have to face situations that stretch your current control to its limits so that your capacity for self-control can build discipline. Everyone's favorite word, discipline. Which brings us back to temptation. While I know that the enemy of our souls has unholy reasons for tempting us, God the Father, who is the only one that matters in this equation, allows Satan to tempt us in order to grow our capacity for holiness, which we could say is the perfect expression of the gifts of the Spirit. So for our good, God allows temptation to a point. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So God keeps Satan in check. And doesn't allow him to, the complete freedom to overwhelm us with temptation. And God always provides a back door. A way of escape. Wisdom will lead us to this way of escape. But as we just talked about, there's a difference between knowing what is wise and doing what is wise. On Jesus' final night before the, the crucifixion, he and the disciples made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And to the disciples he said, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Watch and pray. Prayer carries with it the power to stand against temptation. 
Prayer invites the strength of God into your battle against sin. Let me unpack this a little bit more. Here's how we usually fight temptation. We focus on the temptation. We think, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Whatever it is. I'm not going to open my browser. I'm not going to spend that money. I'm not going to tell anyone that juicy tidbit of gossip. In an honest attempt to say no, we might even pray with temptation as the focus. God help me not to do it. However, even praying like that keeps it as the focus and anything that you focus on, good or bad, gets bigger. It might even be days or weeks before you finally cave, but eventually sin wins. The nature of sin is to just get bigger and bigger until it takes over. In my own life, I've had very little success saying no to sin. Because anything you focus on eventually wins. And when we finally cave, we relegate God to a tiny little closet until we're done sinning. We kind of turn, turn off our awareness of him, if you will. We compartmentalize God away so that we can sin in peace. And then at some point later we repent and invite God back into the picture and move on. I hope I'm not the only one who works this way. So here's what I started doing. And by the way, this is easier when you are in a continual state of prayer like we talked about last week. When temptation comes my way, the sooner the better, I begin to invite Jesus into the broken pieces in, of my life, into the broken, disordered desires that make me want to sin. I have a really honest conversation with him right there at the door to temptation. Jesus, I, I really want to do it. So I invite you into the broken parts of me that want to do it, that are tempted to do it. And I ask you to heal that brokenness. And I keep talking to him there. The, the way I see it, I make it easier for him to heal my brokenness when I ask him to join me here in my temptation rather than pointing at it later and asking him to fix it there. Even if it feels a little weird to be standing at the door of sin with Jesus right there by my side as I inch my toes across the threshold. Sometimes I still sin and drag Jesus through the door, through my sin with me. But most of the time, with my eyes on Jesus, the temptation fades away. Because when you focus on Jesus, he gets bigger. Instead of saying no to sin, I am saying, trying to say yes to Jesus. There's far more power in yes, especially when that yes is powered by the Holy Spirit. And over time, as he does what I ask and heals those broken places in my life, temptation loses more and more of its power. So prayer gives us access to the power of wisdom. Prayer gives us the power to escape temptation. And next up, prayer gives us the power to fight. Now, for most of us, this is more of a reminder than new information. But we live in two realities. There is the reality of this physical world that we live in, the things we can see and touch and hear, and the far greater reality of the spiritual realm. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, we're given a tiny picture of the reality of the spiritual realm. In chapter 10, Daniel sees a vision of the future that disturbs him. Being a man of prayer, he prays for understanding. 21 days later, an angel of God appears to him. And, and this is what he says, beginning in verse 12. He said, don't be afraid, Daniel. 
Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, this is what we call a spiritual battle. Note that God's, God, answered David, God answered Daniel's prayer immediately. But the messenger with the answer had to fight through an unseen battle so fierce that he had to call in reinforcements who were still fighting the battle. It makes you wonder how many of the answers we're looking for get sideswiped the same way. The Apostle Paul writes about it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, uh, beginning in verse 10, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We live in a physical world that is under the control by God's sovereign design of Satan. He and all of his minions have already lost the battle, but they still fight to stop the advance of Jesus Christ in this world. To that end, we can see his influence seeping into every corner of the globe. We see it in wars, human trafficking, drug trafficking, and even our culture wars. To our eyes, it looks like he is successfully spreading confusion and disinformation as he tries to convince us that right is wrong and wrong is right. That truth is subjective, even down to the cells in our bodies. If you've read the end of the Bible, you know it's only going to get worse as we hurtle toward the end days. While it might be easier to vilify those who have become the poster children of this confusion and disinformation, we must remember that they are victims of a greater war being fought in the spiritual realm. On this physical earth, we will only ever have the power to play defense in this war for the souls of mankind. But prayer gives us both the privilege and the power of joining the fight where it truly matters in the spiritual realm against those powers and principalities that fight for the other side. In the next few verses, after Paul describes the rulers and authorities in the unseen world, he goes on to tell us what the armor of God is made up of. Though at first glance, it might seem like this armor is simply a metaphor, it is real armor. When you put on the armor of God, you are gearing up in the spiritual realm. And then, once we are outfitted in the armor of, uh, armor of God, he gives us our marching orders. In verse 18, he tells us to pray. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. To the very best of everything I know, there are only two ways for us to take an active part in the unseen battle that wages around us. In prayer as we see here, and in worship. I see 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you want to check that out further. And if you wanted to really get technical, worship is just prayer put to music, so maybe only one way to fight in the unseen realm. 
Everything that is wrong in this world finds its roots in the unseen realm. Certainly everything wrong with politics, everything wrong with our schools, everything wrong in the ideology of our culture, all of those are systems that have been turned over to the enemy of our souls for right now. But also your battle with sin is rooted in a spiritual battle. You better believe that Satan wants to stop the advance of God's work in your life. Your kid's battle with unbelief is rooted in a spiritual battle for his or her soul. In fact, our kids are so confused about life right now that they don't know up from down. They are being indoctrinated almost 24 hours a day. It's a spiritual battle first and foremost. And while I'm not one to try to, who tries to see Satan under every rock and behind every tree, after all, we're pretty good at making our own messes, uh, you can certainly bet that whatever you ex whenever you experience resistance in your life, there is likely something going on in the spiritual realm. Prayer gives us the power to fight spiritual battles on the spiritual battlefield. And though much more could be said about this topic, I'll leave it there for now. And then finally, at least for today, there is one more power of prayer that we should talk about. Prayer gives us the power of consecration. Consecration is one of those churchy words that doesn't come up very much nowadays, but it, it simply means the act of bringing things under the rule of Jesus. Uh, too often, we act before we think, or we act before we pray. As John Eldridge writes in Moving Mountains, consecration is the act of first pausing and aligning ourselves with Jesus. Christian writer Agnes Sanford uses this analogy to describe consecration. She says, if we try turning on an electric iron and it does not work, we look to the wiring of the iron, the cord, or the house. We don't stand in dismay before the iron and cry, oh, electricity, please come into my iron and make it work. We realize that the whole world is full of that mysterious power we call electricity. Only the amount that flows through the wiring of the iron will make the iron work for us. Back to John Eldridge, the act of consecration is repairing the wiring. The first step before God's protection and provision can flow. In a perfect world with no distractions or enemies nipping at our heels, the journey of becoming like Jesus would probably be a lot easier and less painful. But in reality, we live in a broken world. We are, we are products of this broken world, inundated daily by the lies of the enemy in this broken world. And even though our spirits have been reborn and made new through Jesus, we still live in these earthly tents we call bodies. Our mind and body will likely always be only begrudging participants on our journey to righteousness. And when we do get it right, we still have the tendency to slide towards self-righteousness. Clearly there's a fine line here. But Paul addressed this idea in his letter to the Colossian church. In Colossians chapter 2, he says, Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. That is, their iron has been unplugged. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. 
So even though these unnamed people are still Christ followers, they are some, they still somehow ended up out of alignment with Jesus. Which means that on this side of heaven, we will always drift. We will always fight the tendency to drift out of alignment with Jesus. Probably not big jumps out of alignment. Most of the time, just a slight change in trajectory. Prayer has the power of consecration or drift correction. Even before we know that drift has occurred. We see the act of consecration throughout the Old and New Testaments. In the, in the Old Testament book of Exodus, through Moses, God told the Israelites to consecrate themselves before his presence came down from Mount Sinai into their presence. In Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites once again consecrated themselves right before they crossed the River Jordan and began to conquer the, the Promised Land. And in the New Testament church in Antioch, Saul and Barnabas were set apart or consecrated before their missionary journey. By these examples, consecration is the act of pausing before you act and realigning your heart, mind, and body, your motives and your plans under the rule of Jesus. It might be as simple as this. When you get up in the morning, Father, I consecrate my day to you. Before a meeting, Father, I consecrate myself to you in this meeting. Even if you work in a secular environment, you can do that. Generally, when I sit down on Tuesdays to write a message, I begin with some form of, Father, I consecrate my thinking and my writing to you. May I be led by you as I study and write. May your message for the church be the only thing left on the page at the end of the day. Basically, I want to start in alignment with Jesus, not have to course correct halfway through the day. Prayer carries with it the power of consecration. It aligns or realigns our hearts, minds, and bodies. So we start out doing whatever we are doing on the right foot. Now, I'm quite positive that prayer packs even more of a power punch than just these four ideas. But that's why literally thousands of books have been written about prayer. In just this last month alone, three books that I know of have been released. We could talk about prayer until Jesus comes, and I'm pretty sure we wouldn't even get to the end of our discovery. So to recap for today, through prayer, we have the power of wisdom at our disposal. Through prayer, we find the power to escape temptation. Prayer also puts us on the battlefield, powered up to fight the unseen enemy. And prayer has the power of consecration or realignment with Jesus. Now, I guess that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you regarding at least one of these prayer powers today as I've unpacked them. If you're new to listening to him, consider which one really just resonated with you as I talked. That one is your assignment for the week as you pray. It's pretty simple. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. Explore that power and see what he teaches you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power that you make available through us, to us, and through us by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. Thank you that we have access 
to life-changing power. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Whatever we face, whenever we need help, you're there. You've got our backs. And now in, in these moments, we just invite you to speak to us and take us deeper. Take us into your wisdom. Give us the strength and desire to escape temptation. Father, make us aware of the places in our life where there's a battle being fought that we, we haven't been aware of up to this point, that we might prayerfully fight where it really matters. And then, Father, we come to you now and we just, we, consec we consecrate our lives to you here in these moments. We consecrate uh, the, the spiritual parts of our journey and the secular parts of our journey. We consecrate the, the things that we would like to see you to take, see you take care of in our lives and the things that you have already taken care of in our lives. And we invite you to grow our trust and faith in you. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of the faithful giving of people who called Dayspring their home church. God's work in their lives has left them changed, has made them more like Jesus, and they have come to understand how God uses their generosity to encourage others to become like Jesus as well. So if you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's presence would inhabit your conversations with Him as you pray. And one more thing, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more. Thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.